Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Sometimes uh, preachers get asked a lot of questions, and one of the questions that I've had to answer many times is, Darren, how in the world did you get into, get into preaching, into the ministry? And I always like to tell this little story. There was this young man lived out in the country, and uh, he was raised in church, and he just really felt like, as he got into his teen years, that God was calling him to be a preacher into the ministry, and he really wanted to do that. He uh, loved the Lord, and, uh, but he had one major problem. He had a real bad stuttering problem. And uh, before he would really surrender to, to the preach, he wanted to be as effective as he could be, so he researched, thought, and prayed, and finally found it out that in New York there was this really good doctor who he thought could solve his problems, his stuttering problem. So he packed up his bags, left the country, went up to New York, scheduled an appointment, went in and seen the guy, told him his heart, said, I'm a young guy, I feel like God's calling me to be a preacher. He said, I've got a stuttering problem, as you can tell. Doctor looked at him and said, I've got just the cure. He walked out of the room, came back, handed him a bag full of marbles. Said, uh, take these, when you go home, stuff every one of them in your mouth. As soon as you wake up in the morning, keep them in all day and learn to talk with your mouth full of marbles. He said, and then every day, put in, take out one of the marbles. And sure enough, after the man had done that, and he lost all his marbles, he became a preacher. <laughs> you can hold your comments until, <laughs> until I get finished, okay? James chapter 1, let's uh, read this together with the Lord's help. We're going to preach and um, Brother Corey's been preaching in the book of Colossians about uh, maturity in Christ, and, and uh, just by coincidence, I'd been studying in the book of James, and uh, when he had asked me a few weeks ago to supply for him, kind of uh, went together a, a little bit, and we're going to talk today about how that God uses trials in our life in uh, tough times, how he uses those to produce godly character in our lives. Uh, and it kind of goes along with what Brother Danny's sermon was about, that it's not always easy at the time, but a lot of times we can look back on them and we can see how that God has used those times in our lives to help us to grow. Uh, you know, God, when we're saved, all of us start out as a baby in Christ. Whether you're saved at age 5 or 55, we all start out really as an infant. But God doesn't want us to stay as a baby. He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. Uh, but spiritual maturity is not easy. A lot of people think becoming a Christian and being a Christian, boy, it's just a life of roses. Uh, but you find out real quick that even in the life of a Christian, the roses have thorns, don't they? And it's hard sometimes. It's not automatic. We, uh, it's not automatically that we grow in our faith that, uh, in Christ, that after we become saved, we, there's some things that God's going to use in our lives and some effort on our part that God's going to use to help us to produce uh, maturity. Warren Wearsby said this, and I'm going to use some information uh, in his little book on the book of James, kind of follow a little bit of an outline that I put together from his, some of his stuff. And he said this about uh, mature Christians. He said, mature Christians are happy Christians, useful Christians, 
Christians who help to encourage others and to build their local church. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. We're going to read just another verse or two just in a moment, but first thing off the bat when we think about how that God uses trials to produce godly character in our lives is the first thing we need to see is God tells us we should expect trials. He said it's not if but when. Whenever you face these different trials and persecutions and troubles, that's when you, you know that God is up to something. Wearsby said it, I liked how he said it, and he said we are not God's sheltered people, we are his scattered people. Why were these people that James was writing to, this early church, why were they scattered? It's because they were facing persecution. You go back to the book of Acts and it's just true that God used persecution that the early church faced to help spread the gospel. The world was pushing against Christianity, against Christ, and God was using that to, uh, to help spread His word about His Son. Jesus told us that we will have suffering in this world. Peter said it this way, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. So if we're going to expect it, if we should expect it to know when things happen, not if, but when, James tells us, what are we going to do? James gives us four things, and I'll go quick, okay? He gives us four things that we can do to, as we deal with these encounters, with these trials that we have to go through. Look at verse number two. We find the first one. He tells us the first thing we should do is to count it all joy. Count really is a financial term. It's as if you would count your money. It means to evaluate. Paul talked about it in the book of Philippians when he said, but everything that was a gain to me I have considered or counted to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider, or he says, I count everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of Him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider or count them as dung so that I may gain Christ. When you fall into Him, He's not talking about being careless. He says when you encounter temptations, when you encounter difficulties, evaluate it or count it for joy. Warren Wiersbe and his wife went to a world-famous weaver and they watched his men and women working on those big looms, making those rugs, and they were beautiful. But during the tour with the group that he was in, they got to see all sides of, the, of how they produced these rugs. And they got to see the back side of the rug, and Wiersbe in his book says, man, they were just ugly. The patterns were obscure, the loose ends of the yarn were just dangling underneath them. And he said, the tour guide stopped us and said, let me tell you something. Don't judge the work or the worker by looking at the wrong side of the rug. 
You know, a lot of times when we're going through those trials and temptations and difficulties in our lives, it's hard for us to stop and evaluate and say, boy, I'm, I'm to count it as joy. But when we step back and we can realize that really God is up to something, He's trying to produce some godly character in me. He's trying to produce this in me, and this is, this is the means in which it's going to be. I can then evaluate or consider it all joy when we look with the correct perspective. You ever heard that children's song? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. Hebrews chapter 12 encourages us to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Job said it this way, Yet he knows the ways I have taken. When he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. Dave Ramsey says it on the radio this way once. He said, there's a lot of manure and rich soil in the valleys. Mountaintops are rocky. Not much grows there. What he's saying is, we do most of our growing in the valleys. That's where the soil's the richest. Now, we all enjoy the, the mountaintops. We enjoy those experiences. But most of the growing that I've done and that you've done in your life has been through the difficult, hard experiences that God has placed us before us for us to learn and to grow. So we should count it all as all joy. Secondly, in verse 3, he tells us that we should know. We should have an understanding mind. What is it that you need to know? Well, first of all, you need to know that this faith is always tested. Your faith, my faith, is always going to be tested. God tests us to bring out the best. Satan tempts us to bring out the worst. The testing of our faith proves that we have truly been born again. Know that your faith is going to be testing, going to be tested. Secondly, know that the testing works for us, not against us. 1 Peter 1.7 says, So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm sure there's some folks in here that have been on athletic teams or kids that are still maybe in sports and things. You think about coaches who really pushed you. If they were with the right intent and their heart was in the right place, they, they pushed you to make you better. Not just to be mean, although at the time it may have seemed like they were making you run extra laps just because they hated your guts and they wanted to see you suffer, right? But they pushed you to make you better. Teachers are that way. Good teachers. They push their students so that they'll be smarter and be better. Testing works for us, not against us. Thirdly, know that trials used right help us to mature. God tests us so that we can build endurance, patience, faith, godly character. Paul said, not only that, but we rejoice also in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. Now, there's a lot of you that I, I don't know all that well. I've come to church with you and see your faces. I, I wonder if this morning, if I could get hands lifted of anybody here that has ran a marathon. Anybody here ever ran a marathon? Okay. We will make sure they're added to our prayer list. They, they, <laughs> they need help. I, I'm going to tell you something, Coach. I, I have no desire to run a marathon. Not when I would. 
<laughs> not 20 years ago and certainly not now. But I want to tell you something about running a marathon. I'll tell you what I could do. I could read a lot of books about running a marathon. I could interview people who have ran marathons. I could read books. I could read articles. I could talk to people. I could study. I could watch movies and documentaries about how to run marathons. And I'll be no closer after doing all of those to being able to run a marathon than when I started. The only way to build endurance to be able to run a marathon is to run. The only way to build godly character and endurance and patience in our life is to go through some trials, through some difficulties. That's how it builds endurance and patience in us. Godly patience is courageous. It really says godly patience is courageous perseverance in the face of suffering and difficulty. Consider folks like Abraham and David and Moses and even the Lord Jesus Christ as examples of how God used trials in their life to produce patience or endurance in them. Thirdly, he says not only should we count, not only should we know, but thirdly, in verse 4, he says that we should let. We should have a surrendered will. God desires and wants our cooperation in going through these trials. It's true that God at, at the cross, that God works for us in salvation. Jesus Christ died on a cross was buried, and on the third morning rose from the dead so that you and I could be saved. That, that's the, that's the, kind of, you know, the, the groundwork or the basis of the gospel is that God loved you so much that Jesus died for you in your place. He that knew no sin became sin for us so that we could have life through His death, burial, and His resurrection. That's how much that God loves you. That's how much that Jesus loves you. He did that for me. He did that for you. God works for us in salvation by sending His Son to die on a cross for us. But then it's also true that God works in us through this process of becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ. He builds character so that we can become more like Jesus. And then finally, God works through us in service. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Moses spent 80 years shepherding sheep on the backside of a desert so that God could use him for 40 years of service. God had promised Abraham and Sarah's wife a child. They waited 25 years before that son was born. God desires us to surrender, to let, to surrender our wills to Him, our hearts to Him, so that He can produce godly character in us. One of the keys to maturing in your faith and your walk with Christ is surrender your will to the Lord. I tell you a great example of somebody not to follow. Y'all familiar with the story of Jonah? Jonah's about four chapters long. God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh. You need to go there and preach to them. There's a lot of people there that need to know about me and my love and forgiveness. Jonah said, I'm not going to go there and went the other way, boarded a boat. Storm came. Jonah was thrown overboard. God prepared a great whale, a great fish to swallow him up, spit him out on dry ground. And God spoke to Jonah again. Jonah said, I'll go this time. But I'm going to tell you something. We find out that Jonah didn't go willingly. Because I've read Jonah chapter 4. Jonah goes and he preaches. People repent. God spares the city. And we find Jonah 
pouting under a shade tree like a spoiled little brat child because he did not surrender his will to God. You can go through motions. You can go through the mechanics of being a Christian. But I want you to know something. God looks at our hearts. And more than anything else as a Christian, I think God wants our hearts to be surrendered to Him and to His will. So we should let, we should let God have His will. And the last thing He tells us in verse number 5, He tells us to ask. And He tells us specifically what we should ask for. He says you should ask for wisdom. So you don't waste the opportunities that God's given to you so that you can grow. Knowledge is the ability to take things apart. Wisdom is the ability to put things back together. You and I need wisdom. And our, our churches today, we need wisdom. We need not just earthly wisdom. We need God's heavenly divine wisdom. He tells us to ask for that. He tells us how to ask. He says, ask with a believing heart. Not to act like a double-minded man because he's like the waves of the sea. They're up and they're down. He's telling us that we should ask with a, a heart of faith, a heart of, full of believing and not to be shaken like the, like the winds and the waves, up and down, up and down. But the mature, a sign of mature Christian is somebody that's steady. Somebody that's not like this, that's not double-minded. Not to have any doubt. I'm glad to hear that in the book of James it tells us that God giveth more grace. He does get wisdom. He will answer those prayers. God tells us there's four things, or James does here through God's Word, that we should do. How that God takes difficulties and how that He'll produce godly character in our lives. He tells us that we should count, we should know, we should let, we should ask. But I want you to read verse 12 with me because I think it's the key to these four principles. James 12 says, Blessed is the one who endures trials. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God hath promised to those who love him. You're familiar a lot of times in the, in the Gospels about the Beatitudes. This is basically, James has given us a Beatitude. Blessed. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the one who endures trials. Because there's a crown of life that's promised to them. Who's it promised to? It's promised to all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that the key to enduring trials and letting God use our trials and our difficulties in our life to produce godly character, He's reminding us to go back and ask this, answer this question, do you, do I, do you love Jesus Christ? Do you love Him? If you love somebody, you'll trust them. You'll have no problem saying, Lord, if I love you, I will be able to count it as joy. Lord, if I love you, I know that you're up to something in my life. It's not pleasant for me today, but Lord, if I love you, I know that you've got something greater in store. If you love, if you love Christ, if you love the Lord, you'll have no problem asking Him for wisdom. You'll have no problem asking Him with a confident heart that God wants to grant you wisdom. So my challenge to you, my question to you is not just to memorize those four points. My, I want to point you to, to verse 12. To say that if you're going through a hard time, the best, one of the best things you can do, if not the best thing, is to renew your love for Christ. To know, to trust Him, and to know that the same love that He had for you when He went to a cross and He died willingly, His love for you has not diminished. Love Him. Trust Him. 
obey Him, surrender your life to Him and ask Him for wisdom. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com. Thank you.